So, as was uh, said at the beginning, today we start a new series. It's kind of a two-pronged series, and I'm kicking off the first prong, really. Holiness and hope in a hostile world. A um, bit of a tongue twister, but um, significant words. And, and just to be clear, this, this new series isn't, I believe, going in a, in a completely different direction to the other stuff we've been doing, and different series we've had over the last few years. I believe it's something which does build upon those previous ones. Um, and I believe, and this is just something I sensed as I was preparing this talk, I do believe that God is calling us to a new maturity in our thinking, in our faith, in our lives, both individually, I mean, okay, even if it's only true for me, it's true for me, <laughs> but maybe it's true for others of you as well. But I also do believe that it's something that the Lord is calling us to together as a community as a church, corporately. And I believe this theme of holiness and hope in a hostile world does speak into that. Because the reality is, I mean, you know, you only have to read the news. This is something of a hostile world that we live in. And neat, fluffy catchphrases aren't going to do much. I believe we do need to be mature in our faith in this season. So this part of the series is based in the first letter to the Thessalonians, um, which we've heard um, something from chapter one at the start of the meeting. Um, before we get into that uh, in detail, uh, some of us I know have been reading it this week, I just want to spend a few minutes introducing the whole letter because um, I think it's good to put things in a context. Who were these people? Uh, where were they? And why indeed was Paul writing to them? So, quick little map. Um, here is Thessaloniki, or Thessalon Thessalonica. Um, modern day Thessaloniki. It just depends how you transliterate the, 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 the name of the place. Um, and that's where it was. Um, you may be able to see... Uh, from the little key down there, it's on that red line, which was the Via Egnata, which was a Roman road, and it connected with the Via Appia <coughs> in Italy, modern-day Italy. Um, and it was a, a really important trade route, which went across, right the way through, across, I think it's Albania, and through Greece, and, and on into Turkey. And because it was on that trade route, uh, it was a really important place. The people there were, in general, quite affluent. Uh, there was lots of business. And the people there really felt that they were quite important. They had a special status. They were a free city within the Roman Empire. And I think probably that meant that quite a lot of them were quite self-sufficient, thought they had their lives together, certainly didn't want those lives to be disturbed. I wonder if that sounds at all familiar for us. And the same was true actually for Philippi, which was just down the road, and that's kind of significant uh, now. So what's the story behind the letter? Well, Paul, I just need to go back to Acts 16. I'm not going to read through these things. 
Um, you can read through it um, yourself later on if you want to. It, but, but this is the kind of background. In Acts 16, first of all, we get this wonderful few verses, which I love. It's maybe just the way I interpret it. But it, for me, it paints this picture of Paul trying to get guidance about where he's supposed to go. He tries one place, and it's the wrong place. He tries another place, and it's the wrong place. And finally, it does kind of force him out. And so he uh, goes down the road and travels down to Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, where... Does this sound familiar? There is early mission success, lots of uh, miraculous things happening, wonderful stuff. But then there is opposition and suffering, and Paul has to leave. I mean, the detail is someone puts up a bond, um, basically a sort of a, a legal bond and financial bond, you know, sort of saying, no, Paul's not going to cause any more trouble. And so, so this guy doesn't, Jason doesn't lose his money, Paul and his team leave. And by the way, we often just say, Paul did this, Paul did this, Paul did this. Paul was leading a team. And I'm not going to always say, Paul and his team, Paul and his team. But let's remember, there was a team of people doing this. Paul believed in team. And then we get into the actual book itself, and it gives us a little bit more background about why he wrote the letter. In 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul talks about the fact that he'd always wanted to return, but couldn't do so. I mean, part of it was he'd been arrested and was in prison for a while and stuff like this. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, well, I couldn't return, but I did send my right-hand guy, Timothy. And Timothy travelled, spent time with the church there, came back, told Paul how it was doing. Paul was actually really encouraged in general, it would seem. And after Timothy's report, Paul then writes this letter. He wants to encourage them and he wants to also give them some instruction. So we're going to pick up in chapter one in just a moment. Uh, and as said on the first slide, as Linus said at the beginning, the overall theme is that of mission, which brings us to our little word cloud. So if you were, do you know, I was, gonna, I was just about to not be as clever as my dear wife, who said, didn't use the word late, she just said you arrived more recently, which I thought was absolute genius. But anyway, if you missed at the beginning uh, what we said about this, uh, you need, um, I mean, you can, if you can go online, you can go to polev.com and do that, but most people will use their phone and just do this, join by text. So, many of you who have already done this, text Andy Reid 146207480781235 and then i just want you to answer the question what is mission now you can only use one or maybe two or three words but if you use more than one word you need to hyphenate them otherwise it will split them up it will interpret it as three separate words in the word cloud and um yeah, so Tim, if we could bring up the response page. There we go. Wonderful. And with all word clouds, the more people using the same word, the bigger the word. So we've got a lot of people saying purpose, a lot of people saying go, journey with purpose, good news message, sharing, news, lifestyle. Ooh, lifestyle. Direction. A lot of people about purpose. And I guess that a lot of that purpose that comes out in the way that the, uh, the word is often used in a business context these days. You know, what is our mission as, a, as an organisation? What's our mission as a business? And um, really, that means what's our purpose? So, yeah, great. 
We'll just give you a couple more minutes for that to build a little bit more. Challenge, teaching, end. Purposely meeting others. What ones haven't I done? Intentional evangelism, challenge. Great, sharing the love of Jesus. 10 seconds. Lots of great stuff there about mission, much of which we will be picking up on over the next few minutes. So mission. And I'm going to look at this through um, three, you'll be amazed to hear, uh, three basic headings. Uh, What can we learn from Paul's example? What can we learn from the Thessalonian church? And the third point is really the response. How does that speak into our situation, into my situation and into our situation generally? And just to warn you, spoiler alert, uh, preparing this has challenged me greatly. So um, you have fair warning. So what can we learn from Paul's example? Uh, both in what we've heard in that quick skim through the book of Acts, those two chapters, and from what, indeed, he talks about in the first chapter of Thessalonians. Well, I'm actually going to cheat and go into the second chapter for my first point, but it does relate back to what we were reading in Acts. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, Paul says... Our visit wasn't in vain. Which you could kind of paraphrase as, you know, when I came to you, it wasn't a waste of time. Now, I ask myself the question, why do you say things like that? Why does one say things like that? And I kind of think you only say something like that if either a voice in your own head or other voices have been saying it was a waste of time. And how often has that happened to me? You know, I've stepped out in something, I've done something I believe God wanted me to do, I've gone somewhere, I've said something. Remember that process Paul had gone through to even get there in the first place? He got it wrong twice, it would seem. And... At the end of all of that, he may only have been, I mean, it's a bit difficult to exactly assess it, but, you know, I've I've read the the scholars on it, and they reckon he might only have been there three weeks. It might have been, you know, a matter of a month or two at the most, but probably not very long at all in terms of how long he often spent establishing a church. And yes, some great stuff happened, but in the end, he kind of had to go and you know, there's, there's more than, or what I'm saying is there's more than one way of reading Acts 17. You know, one is this glorious missionary journey, and the other is, well, Paul, that didn't actually go very well, did it? And you kind of left some people exposed with, you know, their money on the line because of your ministry, and you've stirred up a whole lot of trouble for people there. And yes, you planted a church, but just think about what that's going to be like for them now. And you've, it's all right for you, you've left. Do you ever get those voices in your head? Or is that just me? 
Paul is able to speak to his own spirit and reassure others, no, this was not in vain. And indeed, the report he's heard back from Timothy has reassured him that, no, this was not in vain. And we need to look for the encouragement where we can find it. You know, we don't always hear the end of the story, but let's, let's try and draw on our faith to know that if, if we really have stepped out in where we believe God has told us to go, said what we believe God's given us to say, all we can do is, having, is do that and leave the rest with him. 1 Thessalonians verse 5 talks about, Paul talks about the way in which they brought the message. And he said that we brought it in word, in power, and the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking. This is, this is evangelism. This is all the good sort of encouraging spiritual stuff. This is fantastic. And I don't want to detract from all of that. He did bring stuff with word. He did bring it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it would have been worthless without the power of the Holy Spirit. But... The other thing that occurred to me in preparing this is that just maybe, just maybe those things, those sort of miraculous supernatural happenings, encouraging things, they get into the story because they were the highlights. What was that every day? Certainly some rubbish stuff happened as well. And that's what we bring in this last word that Paul uses. He says, we brought it with assurance. Now, you know, I, I tried to dig into what that word meant because it didn't necessarily seem to flow from the others. Word, power, Holy Spirit and assurance. Now, we were singing that great old song earlier on, Blessed Assurance. And it, it might mean just that, that that sort of sense of I know what I know. And it could mean that Paul, in what he brought and in the words that he said, it came through that this was something that Paul actually lived, that was part of him, that he really knew about this. He had experienced it. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation in, in some setting, probably in a professional setting where you've, you've gone to training and sometimes it's, it's clear that the person giving the training really knows their subject. Yeah? And you kind of, you realise that whatever question you ask them, they are going to be able to answer it pretty much because they really know this. I always talk about this as being like the iceberg and, you know, you get the top of the iceberg, which is the bit you see. And there's all this stuff underneath the waterline that you don't see. Maybe that isn't part of the training, but you know it's there in terms of knowledge and experience. It could, have, it could be that. And, and you can always tell the difference, can't you, by the way, if the person's just delivering from the top bit of the iceberg, because that's all they know. And I've done training, and I just occasionally I've been in that situation, and it's not a great place to be. But also, as I, I dug into this, now I don't know New Testament Greek, uh, but I do know what online tools to go to. And if you dig into the root of this word, it does carry the sense of 
carrying something through to the end, which which I think speaks of consistency. And, and in the passage, it's followed by Paul saying, you know what manner of men we were among you. In other words, all the words and the miracles were backed up by their lives, by the consistency of how they lived their lives. And in, in Paul's case, later in the letter, it talks, he talks about the fact that he didn't even want to just rely on them for his support. He worked his trade for at least some of the time in order to to not be a burden to people. Paul is saying, yes, there were the words and the wonders, but also there there were our lives which spoke to you. You know, we talk about signs and wonders, and again, I'm really not detracting from the way in which we normally mean that in terms of... um, you know, the miraculous and the supernatural, the power of God at work amongst people. But here Paul as well introduces the idea of our lives were a sign that caused you to wonder. And our lives can be a sign that caused people to wonder. And then, very quickly, I know I'm lagging a little behind time here, uh, the church. What do we learn from what is said about the church? Well, Paul seems to honour Um, three things Um, here. He talks about their faith, their love, and their hope in Jesus. And those all sound, again, nice, wonderful, spiritual words. Praise God, you know, isn't it wonderful? You know, I want to, Lord, I want to have more love. And Lord, I I, want to have more faith. And and thank you, Lord, for the hope that I have in you. And that all sounds nice and the the kind of thing that we might want on our desk calendar. Um, But Um, he doesn't just talk about those three words. He talks about the work produced by faith. He talks about the labour prompted by love. He talks about endurance in their hope in Jesus. That isn't quite so comfortable, is it? What's that all about? So again, I went to my online uh, Greek and discovered this. Work, because, you know, it's always just a chance that work... when it's talking about faith, might mean something completely different. It doesn't. (laughs) New Testament, Greek, only one word for work, ergon, and it means work. And the implication, the sort of feel of the word is a deed. In other words, it is something you do. So work, faith, faith isn't just a feeling. Faith isn't just an intellectual assent to something. It's not just a heart. It is something you do. And it's work and it is toil. Paul is saying faith for you, Thessalonican church, is hard work. But you're doing it. (sighs) Labour. Kopos. And yes, this has got the sense of it, of a beating. (laughs) Beating of the breast or actual beating, intense labour united with trouble and toil. Everyone feeling encouraged this morning? Yeah, Lord, give me more coppers. You know, we have the phrase in English, a labour of love. But the problem is we usually talk about it if someone's renovating their vintage car. You know, oh, it's a labour of love. Or they're crocheting a particular complicated shawl. Or they're making a model to put in a bottle or something. That's not a labour of love. (laughs) We're not in this sense. Love, 
costs. Not fluffy heart, love island love, but real love costs. And this church showed real love for those around them. Endurance or patience is translated hupomone. It's one of uh, Lina and my uh, favourite New Testament Greek words. Lina, by the way, does know New Testament Greek. She did it at college, so if I'm, if I'm really stuck, I go to her. And, um, and one, of her, one of her lecturers talked about this word and called it the donkey word because there's this sense of almost stubbornness, you know, keeping going, just keeping on like a donkey does. And it means cheerful or hopeful endurance, so it's not all bad news, guys. Constancy, patience. But again, their hope in Jesus was something that they had to be patient in. Not everything worked out straight away. Yeah, that's the truth for us, isn't it? Not every one of my prayers, I'll just speak for myself, gets answered straight away. <gasps> Shock horror. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe in our experience and understanding, it never seems to get answered. Not every prophetic word comes to pass or not in the way that we expect it. There is lots we don't understand and I'm sure there was lots this church didn't understand but they patiently endured. Paul honours that. They carried on and that is a challenge for us. And why? Because they and we have seen something we can't unsee. What's the result for them? Well, actually, it does say in verse 6 of chapter 1 that they are joyful in the Holy Spirit. So be encouraged. There is joy permeating this. It's not just a slog. Jesus being Lord was lifestyle for these people. They had turned from their idols, and we have idols. They were loving people practically and in a way that was costly and they were looking to Jesus and sticking with him even in adversity. And the result of that, Paul says, is their witness, the good news, rang out far and wide. They were a church on a mission. Not just in their words, but in the way they lived their lives. So the third point, what does all that mean for us? Well, first of all, for me. Oh, let's go back to me. No, that's what's happened to me. Well, never mind. For all of us. And I want this morning us to be encouraged as well. Because the reality is, in this church... There are things that represent faith works, love labours and enduring hope. There is stuff that God has done amongst us together. Things that have happened and that we do that represent those things. But also there might be for us individually 
challenges that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about right now that speak about one of those things? Are there things that we're being called to do which show our faith in work? And that might be our actual work work, our nine to five, Monday to Friday work, if we have that. Or it might be something we feel we should get involved in. There is going to be hard work, but it will represent our faith in Jesus. Is there, are there places where your love, our love, is being stretched? And to carry on loving is going to be a labour, but we're called to carry on loving. And for some of us, are we feeling a bit despairing in our hope? And just do we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to reassure us this morning? To be patient, to hang on. Because there is joy. So uh, Tina and Nigel and his cornet, not his trumpet, I got it wrong earlier on. Just gonna, we're going to spend some time worshipping, but also responding. Now at the back, there are three doors with words, with those phrases on. Faith works, love labours and enduring hope. And somewhere, Lina, there are some post-it notes, I believe. And, and uh, so in front of the door, there are the post-it notes. And if you are at home, you might want to write this, some of these things down if things occur to you or put it in the chat on WhatsApp. That is really for us just to be encouraged. If there are things that River Church Marlowe does or individuals do that represent any of those things, I'd just like you to put them on some post-it notes and stick it up at the back. And we'll do a quick recap at the end just to be encouraged together. But also, let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about where else he wants us to go individually where he wants us to step as we grow in our faith in greater maturity.